Hi, my name is Dan, and in this world, I'm a lot of things. A father, a son, a brother, a talk radio host. But one thing that I'm definitely not is a Star Trek fan. However, my brother Joey... That's me. He is a Star Trek fan, but only the original series. Live long and prosper. He believes that if I sat down and watched the original series, that maybe, just maybe, I could become a fan too. There's such great writing. How could you not? So for the next 79 episodes of this podcast, that's what I'll be doing. Watching every episode of the original series and coming here to discuss it after each one. So join me each week as I go through all 79 original Star Trek episodes. This is Attempting Trek. And welcome back to another edition of Attempting Trek. My name is Dan. I am the one who will be attempting Trek. And I'm here, as always, with Joey, with superfan Joey. Joey, are you excited about this This one that we're talking about tonight? Is this one of your favorites, maybe? Uh, not one of my favorites, uh, but still a pretty good episode and better than I thought. Okay, and we're talking about The Man Trap. Which yes. And and the man trap sounds like a Rock Hudson Doris Day comedy to me. The man trap, uh, yeah. doesn't it? Yes, I can see that. Yeah, sure, yeah, sure, yeah. sure. I can see that. Yes. Danny, we should remind uh, viewer uh, listeners that um, you know that the goal of attempting truck, of course, is to see if we can get you to the magical one hundred thousand <laughs> uh, point mark. Right? Oh, that's right. I, I I forgot that I had implemented a one hundred thousand point uh, level of what it would take for me to get there. Uh, and at the end of the last episode, I was at number 12, as I recall. Right. Yeah, right, was... which moved you up from 5 to 12. 5 to 12, yes. Let's see how far the needle will move in this particular episode. Hmm. Right. <sighs> All right, you ready to get into this episode? You ready to scrub right through it? Okay. Yeah. So yeah. when we begin, uh, we have Kirk, we have McCoy, and we have another dude. Now, I know, okay, Joey, I know that the other dude in later episodes will be wearing a red shirt. But for some reason, he's wearing a blue shirt. He's, his name is Darnell. And I already know, from from immediately from the beginning, I'm just going to tell you, I already know that guy's going to die. Really? You knew that right from the beginning? Yep. I was like, yeah, this guy's probably going to die. Something, something bad is going to happen to this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it because he's there with uh, Kirk and McCoy as part of a landing party and no one else? And Well, yeah, and no one else. And that's just one of those things that you know about Star Trek is that yeah. the, the other guy that goes down with them it always ends up dead. He's usually wearing a red shirt. There's the whole red shirt cliche. Like even I'm, right. aware, even I'm aware of this of, uh, of this trope that uh, goes on with Star Trek. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. Okay. So this, is, uh, this, is, this guy is named Darnell. I know that. Uh, I, did, right. I, did, I didn't recognize him. Uh, do you know? Did you know this guy? Are you familiar with him at all? With Darnell? Well, yeah. This uh, this actor, his name is Michael Zaslow. That's with a Z. Zaslow. He actually um, serves a pretty a pretty interesting. Uh, well, has a pretty big impact in Star Trek. Well, maybe not that big, but an interesting impact. Um, aside from this role here, um, you know, he he does go on to uh, act in a lot of. Uh, uh, soap opera episodes uh-huh. and through the years in later years, uh, but you'll find this interesting. He's okay. actually the godfather of Christian Slater. 
That's hilarious. How Who random. also yeah. was in Star Trek. He's part of the Star Trek family. Oh, that's right. He's in, he has a cameo in Star Trek Six. Uh, yes, he does. That's he's right. Like, so, I rem- yeah. I remember him talking about that on a talk show, and he was talking about how excited he was about it. Yeah, so he's he's part of the Star Trek family, Christian Slater. Uh, I don't know that it's a if it's a coincidence or you know, you know this somehow greased the wheels for him one day to get in there, but nonetheless, that's Michael Zaslow, that's Darnell. Um, Dar- Michael Zaslow, unfortunately, Uh-oh. is one of the few people uh-huh. who died of Lou Gehrig's disease. Oh, for goodness' sake! Okay, yeah, late nineties, uh, he passed away from ALS. All right. So. so apparently he was acting right up until the very end. He kind of got he got fired from like one soap opera and then another soap because and then he was like doing really poorly. He couldn't speak well. Another soap opera brought him in and uh, he actually was on, acting on that soap as a person who had Lou Gehrig's disease, I believe, uh, had some sort of affliction. And um, and then that's it. You know, he died a couple of days later. So that's uh, that's Michael Zaslow. So that's some typecasting in the end there, I gotta say. Jeez. Oh, right. All right. Yeah. So here's also something that I noticed uh, about the landing party, Joey. Yeah. They're all wearing holsters, right? Well, I don't know if McCoy is, but they're wearing holsters. And they don't look like very good holsters to me. They look like sashes that you would wear that maybe a matador might wear. They were, they were very unimpressive holsters. Do you have any, do you have any insight as to this? How do you explain this? I don't have insight into it. I, I can say that I saw the holster uh-huh. in, the, in the pilot episode that we that we reviewed last week, mm-hmm. right? When Spock walked into the uh, sick bay wearing a holster, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, is, is this holster going to continue? Because it's going to be goofy every time I see it. I'm going to be like, oh, it's that goofy holster business that they got going on. Well, you know, actually, this takes us to somewhere else. This is the, the first episode that we're seeing that wasn't that was that was created after the show was greenlit, right? So. Now we're seeing a lot of different things that are going to be more familiar to fans, even casual fans of the show. So, like the way they're dressed, in, you know, in general, like the shirts are now they're they're more finished, right? It's got that yep. black collar or whatever that is. I've heard some reports say that that black collar is actually uh, a collar to another shirt that's underneath. I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> um, but the you know I don't know. I think that the shirts fit better. They look better when we see Spock. Um, his eyebrows are not crazy up anymore. They're yes. just a little bit more slanted. Yeah, right? he looked way better. You're right, because he looked kind of yellowish, and his eyebrows were bizarre in the last one we were talking about. You're right. He looks way better in this episode. He looks more like I know Spock to look. Right, right, right. So I think we have a more finished look here, and there's going to be sure. some tweaks along the way. However, um, you know, they're not done. So, you know, they want, they figure... I'm just guessing now. I'm speculating. They, they have to have something to hold the phasers. They are beaming down to this planet. Um, it is just three of them. You have to have weapons with you to uh, protect yourself, and you got to stick them in something. Um, unfortunately, they are. Um, this is also, you know, what this probably also owes to the time period. Oh my because god! Because this is still a, a, a time when uh, all the TV shows, a lot of the TV shows that were successful. Uh, were westerns, right? So if you need a holster, that's where you, it's easy to find one that looks like it's from the old west, which is what these are. Like, well, right? I, I will tell you, if they had used ones that were from the old west, it would have looked better. Like this didn't look like it, it doesn't. Look, don't think so. 
No, it it looked a little sissy-ish to me. It, it didn't look oh. very cool at all. It's got a very bad look to it. That's all. They're very like it's like a light. It's a, like a light brown leathery look. I kind of thought it was old westerny, but you don't you don't think so. No, it doesn't look old westerny to me at all. It looks okay. like it looks like a sash is what it looks like. It looks like, <laughs> looks like okay, they're wearing right. they wearing sashes all the way in the I future. I do think that's going to improve in later episodes. <laughs> I, I would hope so. Okay, so let's see. McCoy has an old girlfriend there on this planet from ten years ago, and they are there to perform inspections on the people that are that are that are living there. And to see what they need, give them provisions, whatever. This is part of uh, what Starfleet does or whatever, uh, you know, the Enterprise does, whatever. So they go and they meet um, Professor Crater and they're going to meet Nancy Crater. These are the two people living there. And so Nancy Crater appears, right? And when McCoy sees her, why, she hasn't aged a day. And he's all love-struck and stupid. When and it's been how many years? It's been, he says it's been, uh, 12 years. Right? I thought it was 10. I heard, you know, I heard 10 also. Maybe there, was their relationship 12 years? I'm not sure, no. but I, I had said 10 earlier. I don't know why you're giving me a hard time. Okay. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> Pay attention, Joey. Anyway. So then when Kirk sees her, she's got a head full of gray hair and, eh, not so young. Now, Far more interesting is that when Darnell sees her, she's a completely oh, yeah. different person. Yep. She is a a young hot blonde, and Darnell, you know, you remind me of somebody that uh, I saw at uh, some other place. That uh, hmm, it's crazy, it's uncanny, it's freaking me out. Now he mentions where he saw her, and I wonder if it was some inappropriate place because they. The you know Kirk and McCoy are like hey actually really I think it's McCoy who's like hey stop it you're being offensive right now. Um yes it was very uh it was very inappropriate because the woman that he has in mind is someone that he left behind on Wrigley's pleasure planet. That's what yeah yeah so what, I, that's what I was thinking was it a whore is that what the idea was? Yeah I think so I yeah. think so. Ma'am if I didn't know better I would swear that you were somebody I left behind on Wrigley's pleasure planet. You look like my favorite hooker. That's yes. apparently. That's exactly right. Yep. Way to go, Darnell. That's how I... Yeah. <laughs> okay. So they make Darnell go stand outside because he's been misbehaving. Yes. Now... <laughs> All right. So um, Professor Crater explains, hey, we need some salt. Uh, I don't want your examinations. And, um, listen, just give me the salt and, and, and get out of here. Now, I gotta say, yeah. at this beginning, we get a lot of close-ups of Kirk, it seemed like. Like, smiling, uh, handsome, looking at the camera Kirk. Did you, did that, did that uh, strike you at all? I thought we got that in the last episode, too. We, we did, and there's also a couple here. It's only in this opening scene where Kirk is having oh. a wonderful time at, uh, at McCoy's expense. Kirk is having seemingly the time of his life at the idea that McCoy is in this slightly awkward situation with an old flame. Yeah, he definitely is uh, taking advantage of the fact that he's got him. Yes. You know? Yes. Uh, I kind of feel like this episode has a lot of close-ups. I see close-ups of Crater, of uh, the of the you know the three different faces that we get. 
from Nancy. Yes. Uh, McCoy. So I don't really notice it more than usual or more than we've seen so far with Kirk necessarily. I think it's a lot. I just don't think it's more than usual. All right, so then we have a, a fantastic scene, all right, where we're doing a little bit of um, uh, examining with the professor, and now you have McCoy and Kirk. They're all having a conversation, and McCoy is still talking about how young Nancy looks. Oh, I can't believe it. She still looks, uh, still looks yeah. the same age, and Kirk's not having it. Okay, listen, enough, okay? He's heard enough. He's, he's heard, heard enough. A, he's had enough of this. Look, look, yeah. look, look, man! I gotta tell you, she doesn't look like she's twenty five anymore. Okay, yeah, she's he okay calls her looking. A handsome woman. Yeah, yeah, she's a handsome woman. I know, very polite, very politically yeah. correct. She's a handsome woman, but let's not get crazy here. There's no way she's still twenty five. Come on, stop it. She hasn't aged today. There's not a gray hair in her head. She's got some gray bones. Excuse me, professor. She's a handsome woman, yes, but hardly. And McCoy's like, okay, fine. Then I'll make it 30. And that's not what Kirk is thinking. No, absolutely not. So McCoy is conceding only a little bit. Right. All right. Right. And Kirk is just going to let it go. Kirk is going to let it go. And and Kirk's doing the right thing, even though he's smiling the entire time. This is is about the end of of his good times for this episode, though. He doesn't have any more fun the rest of the episode. Well, that's because someone starts screaming. Nancy starts screaming, and as it turns out, Darnell is dead. We rush outside, and he's lying down. He's got a bunch of kiss marks all over his face. <laughs> and according to Nancy, he ate a space berry, and that's what killed him. Now, this sounds like a shaky story right from the jump. Uh, Kirk fishes a space berry out of his mouth, and I'm pretty sure that anybody who would be visiting a, a different planet isn't just going to start plucking space berries and popping them in their mouth. No yeah. way. That's a terrible that's a terrible uh, story that she's got there. And right. uh, Professor exactly. the professor is pretty flip about it too. He seems to be very casual about that you know, these people have beamed down and now there's a dead guy. Well, you know what? You should train your crew member better than to go around eating space berries. They should know better than that. Why don't you get him and get out of here now? And I, I think yeah. it, you know you want them to give you salt, and this is your attitude about it. Maybe you should be a little <laughs> polite about it, and you'd get what you want. For goodness' sake, he's a pretty defensive guy, isn't he? Oh, he's right a... from the very beginning. He's he, you know he's always he's obstinate throughout this whole episode. He is completely obstinate. That is the perfect word for it. Completely obstinate. Now we get another fantastic scene. This is back on the ship. And Wait, what, uh, a quick interruption, if you will. Absolutely. Uh, this is the very first time we ever hear McCoy say the famous words, he's dead, Jim. Ah. He, yes. Yeah. For, so it's episode two, poor Darnell. Yeah. And I don't know if he says he's dead or just dead, Jim, but it's the first time that he does that. Okay. Dead, Jim. Back on the ship, we have <laughs> Spock is, is running things. He's on the bridge. And there is Uhura. And this is, oh, I, I believe, our first look at uh, Lieutenant Uhura. Correct. And she is straight up flirting with him. Oh, yeah. And it's it's going nowhere. It's a waste of time. And she's getting a little frustrated by it. And it's fantastic. The whole thing is hilarious. I don't know if it's intended to be as hilarious as it is, 
but it is straight up hilarious. She gets frustrated at his lack of emotion, and he doesn't even seem to notice that she's flirting with him. Tell me how your planet Vulcan looks on a lazy evening when the moon is full. Vulcan has no moon, Miss Uhura. I'm not surprised, Mr. Spock. Which she finds frustrating. Mm-hmm. That she um, does. My feeling is that this is uh, the writer's attempts, Roddenberry's attempts, to explain more about Spock and what makes him tick and how he works, how he operates. I w- um, yeah, I would say so. Absolutely. Yeah. This is just a device uh, to help explain, you know, the alien nature of this of this being to us a little bit more. And I liked it. I mean, it is it is kind of goofy, but I this is the kind of stuff that I like. I like learning more about the characters. Um, they're often so stiff in science fiction mm-hmm. uh, TV shows and movies, and and Star Trek is no different. It has a lot of stiffness, I think, to it. Um, so when you get like you know backstories and character development, I kind of enjoy that. Did, did you not see it that way? Oh no no, this is maybe my favorite part of the show. Actually, I'm not sure. Oh. I haven't thought about it, but I do like you know moments like. The, if there was more moments like this, I'd probably yeah. be more into it. I also got to say, uh, Starfleet has some interesting ideas as far as how they're going to outfit their ladies because Uhura's uniform goes, I wouldn't even say mid-thigh. I would say her little space dress goes like upper thigh. Like it is inc- – it's impressively short. Yeah, there's no question about it. And she knows <laughs> it. She says, why don't you tell me uh, I'm an attractive lady? <laughs> <laughs> That's – you know, I gotta say that's that's not great flirting right there. By the way, uh, that's, a, uh, that's a little desperate, Uhura. It's a little desperate. Yeah, it's not that subtle, is it? No, not at all. But at least she's trying. All right. So then they get interrupted. We find out that the crew is coming back and that somebody is dead. And Spock is just very matter of fact about it. Uhura is like, "What's the? Ma- How do you have no emotion? Maybe it's Kirk who's dead. He's the closest right. thing you have to a friend." Spock's. Spock just has to let her know. Look, this is, hey, I'm on. I'm in charge here. I'm handling business. This is how business gets handled, right? Yeah, and the the fact that he says they'll call me if they need my assistance that does sound a little cold, though, right? Oh, it it totally sounds cold. His reaction is completely cold. All right. I think that they're still figuring Spock out too. Remember, this is the actual first episode. All right. All right. So let's see. We have. Um, Kirk learning from Spock that uh, that it was uh, it would be alkaloid poisoning that came from the space berry. That's that could be what it is. However, all of the kissy marks all over his face do not come from this kind of poisoning. So now McCoy is is deducing. All right, it's probably not poison. This is not what happened. There's no sign of the poison. There's no sign of it in him. And Kirk wants to get to the bottom of things. He has a great moment where he kind of yells at him while uh, McCoy is lost in a reverie about how young he thought that Nancy looked. Kirk's like, all right, I don't care about this. I want to know what happened, damn it. It's great. Yeah. Granted, the moment I may have been looking at her through a romantic haze. How your lost love affects your vision, Doctor, doesn't interest me. I've lost a man. I want to know what killed him. Also... This is another random hilarious moment, Joey, where we and I the point of this little scene is to let us know that the Enterprise is supposed to move on to some other duty that they have. But they're sticking around because someone's been killed and they need to find out what happened. 
And how we're going to portray this is a little exchange in which Captain Dominguez is asking about a shipment that they're supposed to deliver. And Kirk lets us know, oh, I see, the Mexican person wants his chili beans. (laughs) What the hell is happening here? Tell Dominguez that uh, we'll bring his chili beans. (laughs) Chili peppers. Whatever they are. (laughs) We'll bring the Spanish person the Spanish thing. And I... I, I, I like the detail that Kirk says, look, I got him the best ones, the red whatevers, and I picked them myself. What? Base Commander Dominguez says we have supplies he urgently needs. I tell Jose he'll get us chili peppers when we get there. Does, wait, does that mean that Kirk got out there and picked chili peppers, like, out of the ground? That's the image that I, I have. I think, I think it does mean something like that. I think that he knows this guy, and this is, you know, once again... Um, explaining to the viewers that Kirk is an extremely popular man. There's a lot of people, and, uh, <laughs> you know, everybody rubs everybody's back kind of a thing. Now, are, are, we go- are we going to see Spanish people on the Enterprise at, at any point? Do you know oh. of the, that, that you know of? Uh, I, I would think so, but not off the top of my head. Okay. All right, all right. Because, you know, I, I always, you always hear about the Star Trek with the diversity. Right. And... You know, all right. There's an alien dude. I got uh, African American lady. I got uh, Asian dude, and uh, well, I don't know. Then a bunch of white people. But we got that so far. But I don't know any uh, any Spanish people other than Captain Dominguez, who seems to be important enough that he's actually captaining a ship. Yeah, that's a great point. I don't know. I'm sure that there's got to be somebody somewhere that comes up along the way. But all right. All right, so let's see. Kirk uh, ends up talking to Spock about the situation, and I'll tell you what. Spock has this ridiculous Bluetooth thing in his ear. He's got a big, giant uh, spring that's coming out of his ear that's very distracting to watch. It's a a special tool for himself. Mm. He's able to... uh, I think he's able to, like, hear certain frequencies. He could do part of Uhura's job with it. He could translate things from the computer... You know, I think it's stuff like that, but I mean, they don't have to really explain it. I, I see Uhura has one as well, but right. there's no close-ups of her with it, and Spock already has funny ears to begin with, and so now there's a right. giant, you know, spring coming out of his ear, and it looks silly. It looks pretty... Uh, <laughs> it, it's really sort of a funny image. Uh, it is, yeah. And what we've, what we've learned in this conversation is that the craters have been there on this planet for five years, and that there have been shipments that come and go, but there's been a drop of shipments made there in the last year. Okay. McCoy calls the fellas, and uh, they go to see McCoy in sickbay uh, with, with the dead body, and he updates them as to what uh, his investigation, his examinations are, at that there's no salt in the body, and that's how he died. Not space berries, lack of salt. Joey, right. do you feel that this is actually possible? Actually, uh, this is kind of interesting. So when they uh, when they were working on this uh, on the writing of this, um, one of the people at NBC, one of the execs, uh, I believe Stan Robertson, was was asking Ronberry, "You better find out if that's a real thing. You know, you can't just make stuff up like that. I mean, if it can you actually kill a person by getting all the salt out of his body? Can you live without salt?" 
And so now there's a conversation about that. And so to do that, Roddenberry turned to Kellum DeForest Research. Are you familiar with this company, Danny? No, I'm sorry. It's Kellum DeForest? Yeah, yeah. Kellum DeForest Research. No, I'm no. not. Is is? Are you sure they didn't do DeForest Kelly Research? I know, right? It's just a wild coincidence. <laughs> but Kellum DeForest Research mm-hmm. is uh, something that started by a, was started by a guy named Kellum DeForest in the 50s who was asked to fact check uh, some TV episodes of whatever. And then it just kept going on and on and on, and he wound up cre- incorporating a, a company out of it. It was a one-man company. And uh, for, I don't know, 10 years or more, he was responsible for fact-checking all sorts of TV episodes for all sorts of uh, networks and um, directors and writers and stuff like that. Huh. He continued to do this. It became a really big thing. Um Deep into the 80s, and I think he may he may have died in the 80s. I'm not I'm not exactly sure about that. But mm-hmm. Kellum DeForest research, I believe, still continues on. So any any um, any TV show that needed some fact checking that you were a fan of, you know, like could a man jump a shark, for instance? <laughs> uh huh. Sure. <laughs> you would go. You would turn to Kellum DeForest, and he would give you the answer. He'd look it up, or he'd have one of his uh, minions look it up. Do some research, some interviews, whatever it took. Hmm. Come back with the definitive answer, and you may or may not decide to change your script based upon the results of the research that he came up with. That's pretty interesting. That's good work on that part. All right, so you can die then from uh, a lack of salt or having the salt sucked out of you. That's what they found out. That Yeah, you have – yeah. Actually, what they said was while it had never happened in reality, a quick death would be likely. That's interesting. Uh, all right, I got to tell you though, man. At this point in the show, I've already figured yeah. out what is going on. Like, I don't know. Oh, really? Yeah, it, 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 it. I don't really. And I'm not somebody who thinks ahead very much, and I'm not somebody who figures things out. However, this does not. This did not take a, a genius to figure out what was going on here. Like, I already knew exactly what's going on. Like, okay. I put put it in my head, and as the show went on, I was proven correct. Okay. Uh, all right. So. Kirk, Spock, Kirk and Spock go down with a couple of other dudes to the planet. They're going to get some answers. Uh, Professor Crater says, more importantly than anything else, as far as he's concerned, we have no salt. This is why. This is our big problem. We had 25 pounds of salt. Now all I have is a big, giant salt shaker with a little bit of salt on the bottom. That's it. <laughs> right. Right. So he tells – Kirk tells him, listen – you and your wife, we need to get you both on the ship until we know what killed Darnell because something weird is happening here, and part of what we do is make sure that people like you are safe on planets like this. However, the professor is not interested in this, so he runs off outside, and outside what we learn is there's another crewman that's dead with the kissy marks all over his face, and then we see Nancy over by another one, and... <laughs> <laughs> she then here we go. Here's where it is, Joey. We now see Nancy morphing into the other dead crewman, crewman Green. Crewman Green. Yeah, and so she hooks up with Kirk and Spock, and they come together and they have a little conversation. What's going on here? We got this other dead guy, and so now they go back up into the ship, right? Except crewman Green. Is not Kruma Green. It's really the shape-shifting creature. 
Dun, dun, dun. So, um, now, once Crean gets back up into the ship, there's some interesting stuff that happens here, man. Uh, he has this strange look on his face immediately. Like, he just, I don't know. Look, I, I don't know if the direction was, okay, just try to look like you're uh, a weirdo the whole time. So, <laughs> right. so that's what he does. He looks like a weirdo the entire time. There's a quick scene where Kirk decides, hey, McCoy, why don't you go sleep for the rest of the episode? Go ahead. Go take a nap. And that's what McCoy goes to do. And then we're, we're with Green, and he's creeping around the ship, and he sees <laughs> Miss Beehive 1966 walking around <laughs> with a tray of food, right? I don't know why <laughs> somebody in space <laughs> in centuries ahead is having the most modern hairstyles of 1966, but that's what she has. And it Do looks, you think that's modern for 1966? Beehives? That, yes, beehives are in in, in the mid-60s. That's dramatic? I mean, that elaborate? I, I would... Well, maybe it's a little more elaborate. I, I don't know. It, it, I'll tell you, it looked like... Some, first of all, it didn't look like it was legit. It looked like someone had created something and... And pinned it to the top of her head is what oh, I. Oh yeah, it. definitely. Like it's a it's like a like an upside down uh, plant base or something, right? Yeah, it's, it's got hair around. It. It's yeah. got some patterns going on in there. It's impressive. Yeah. It's impressive. Oh, it is. Yeah. So she's walking. Do you know who that is? Uh, no, I don't know who that is. So this is your third yeoman. Oh, right. Yeah, I figured she was. She must be a yeoman. So that's what a yeoman is. Uh, secretary, do girl. Uh, like a do girl, I guess is the right way to say it. It seems to be on Star Trek. Girl someone Friday. Like, yeah, someone that's gonna like get you the coffee, get you the reports. If you're, but you know, the I think I think only the captain has a yeoman. I'm not sure about that. For any uh, listeners, I could be wrong uh-huh. about that. If I am, please let us know on our Facebook page. But um, I, I I can only recall in the original series seeing a yeoman for the captain. Now, if you tell if if somebody you know wants to inform us that no, 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 all of the officers have their own personal yeoman, that could be true. But um, she, and although it's not going to be established in this episode, she is going to be Captain Kirk's yeoman. Oh, is that right? She will be. Yeah, she, she, I I was kind of surprised when I was watching this that there doesn't, that that doesn't, that dynamic doesn't take place in this episode. But we do see her. She does play a pretty, uh, a pretty heady role. Um, She's probably the, the, the one actor slash actress that has the biggest role outside of like the core people. And she, you know, there's, there's a, she got, she winds up getting fired from the show and it's very, you know, there's a lot of drama oh. with this, with this person. Her name is Grace Lee Whitney. Um, and there's going to be a lot of issues. And in fact, in this episode, there's going to be some issues that we're going to get to that, um, that, that she talked about later in, in her book, I believe. Oh no, kidding! Okay, yeah, well, yeah, that's good yeah, stuff. Yeah. But she's she's a she's a she's a real legitimate um, part of the original series. She was in the Star Trek: The Motion Picture. They wind up bringing her back. She went to all of the Star Trek conventions. Huh. She was a big fan favorite. Yeah, yeah, she's um, she was kind of a hot mess, but uh, she <laughs> she's definitely a big part of the show. How often did she have the beehive? Always, always. I, that's a lot of work. I'm pretty sure putting that. Whoever was putting that together, that's a lot of work. All right, so Green sees yeah. her with a tray of food. There's a salt shaker right. on there. He tries right. to take it, and she slaps his hand, which 
is really funny. Like, if I had a tray of food and somebody came and took the salt shaker, I wouldn't even be like, okay, I'm probably okay with that. I, I would assume you're going to give it right back. But yeah, she, she wasn't having it. Don't touch well, the salt uh, shaker. She's sassy. She is. She oh, well, she most definitely is sassy for sure. <laughs> so mm. she's the kind of girl that would slap you on the hand. Hey, knock it off. Who do you think you are? So she takes the tray into an elevator. He goes into the elevator. He then <laughs> follows her as she okay. goes over to see Sulu. And Sulu, I don't know, he's some sort of a botanist over here. He's in a room with a million plants. And yes. she goes ahead, gives him the tray of food. There's some sort of Jim Henson plant that uh, is there, some sort of Muppet plant that they start talking about. And uh, shortly thereafter... Green enters, and was, doesn't say anything, walks up to Sulu, stands over him, starts weirdly looking at the salt shaker, starts just being completely unconvincing at being a human being. Uh, Sulu's asking, like, I'm sorry, can I help you? Something I could do for you? And then the Muppet plant starts freaking out, starts yelling some weird sound, and Green freaks out and, and leaves. Now, yes. Now let me tell you about the uh, about the Muppet. Okay. So if you watched it carefully, you may have noticed that it looked shockingly like a hand. It absolutely looked like a hand. Yes. Yeah. So there's an actor. I don't know who it was, but there's an actor that's underneath the that that prop, that apparatus, whatever it is. And then of course there's like a little volcano, and then at the top of the volcano out comes this hand puppet, right? Made of some sort of vi- uh, violet colored material, right? Like a light purpley thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so according to Grace Lee Whitney, she uh, later recalled that the operator of said puppet uh, could see right up her skirt and <laughs> apparently he tried to grope her using the puppet. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, Outside of that, she said, though, that this was one of her favorite sets to work on Throughout the series, it was it was the lab, uh-huh. Uh-huh. which is also the sick bay, but it's sort of redecorated to look like something else. To look like this body. You know, well, I can understand how how easily it would be to look up her skirt because it was barely a skirt. It was these things that that the ladies wear are so ridiculously short. Like like there's no way it's it's so not very functional for being on some uh, sort of military operation. Or, or whatever this, this would be, whatever you would consider this kind of, kind of operation to be. True, but uh, but uh, you know, in 1967, uh-huh. um, mini skirts are all the rage, and they're super short. Right? Well, yes, that's true, but you know, the, the show doesn't play, take place in 1967. Although I, 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 I'm going to guess that the skirt and the beehive go together, though. You know. Hmm. Yeah. Do you think there's like a string from one to the other? No, there's a string from one oh. to the other, but I think it's all right. We're we're keeping some modern fashions. That's that some modern fashions of today. That we're going to keep yeah. in here. That's all. Yeah, yeah, and especially you know, with the uh, ladies. He also said this is a scene between her and George Takei, and uh, so now we're actually getting some real real conversation from him, right, from Sulu. Yes, and. Um, He's actually smiling. It's like a light moment in Star Trek that, you, again, you don't see a whole lot of those. So when you do see them, like, where they're acting like human beings, he's actually eating and laughing. And, you know, they're sort of, he's like using about, you know, calling the, the, 
the uh, habit of men to call inanimate objects women, you know, and uh, that's yes, yes, there is a, a cutesy little. It is. Yeah. It is uh, just a little interesting scene. They have a little basic conversation. True. Right. I mean, if there was a lot of this, it wouldn't be very good. But because there's so little of it, it it's a little bit. It stands out as a little bit more interesting. Um, J- uh, and uh, Grace Lee Whitney does say that she did enjoy working uh, with uh, All right. And, right. All right. So Green leaves, and he when he leaves, he's in the hallway, and next up is Uhura. So, he morphs into some black dude. All right. And he starts to seemingly hit on her as this black dude and starts speaking, I think, Swahili to her. He starts speaking to her in some other tongue. She starts speaking back to him, and she says, like, oh, Swahili. And then he seems a little confused by it because maybe he doesn't know what he's saying. He he did pick the image of who he was, who he was from her brain. So he read her mind and decided, oh, okay, this is what she would like to see. So this is he, what he I'm going to become. To her, you were just thinking of someone like me. Yeah. Now, he is about to grab her face and uh, start doing some crazy voodoo to her when they get uh, interrupted and she gets called to the bridge and so she takes the moment to run away. So she heads on into the elevator and goes up to the bridge. Yeah, but she was paralyzed for a moment there. Yes, she was paralyzed seemingly in his eyes, and he was about to put his his hands to her face. He was taking a very long time to put his hands on her face, just kind of moving them slowly in, just long enough for them to get interrupted. Uh, Yeah, and what was interesting is that the crewmen that have died, we haven't seen the process of the killing. We just uh, found them dead. Right. Yes. So now we see that this person here is actually paralyzed. And yes. Like seeming. I don't know if it's with fear or if it's something to do with the look in the eyes. Uh, but but she can't move. Mm-hmm. So now we see that uh, McCoy can't sleep, and uh, Kirk advises him to take some some red pills that look like a bunch of red hots. Um, By the way, yeah. Uh, I mentioned in the last episode that we did that. I thought we would never see pills again. Remember, there was that oh, one that's scene. Oh, You're right. <laughs> yeah. So when I saw this, I went, "Oh wow, look at that! <laughs> there are pills." Next it's episode. T- not quite the same way, but still, it's like, mm-hmm. "Whoa, yeah!" And like you just said, yeah, they look like a bunch of, uh, you know, red hots, right? Yeah. And also, I noticed that Kirk is on the bridge. It looks like he's eating candy. He's got a tray and he's eating off of it, and it's like some kind of green candy. That I don't know if it's supposed to be candy or what it is, but that's what it looked like. I think it was I think it was blue, but yeah, it looks like some sort of like blue rock candy or something. Yeah, and um, I see whenever they do show food, not a, not every time, but lots of times when they shoot show food on the original series, it is this all of these weird different colors and like squarish, you know, uh, kind of shapes, like you know, triangles, circles, squares, rectangles. Who, who knows what they really are? Okay, so let's see. Um, now. The, the creature morphs back into Nancy, heads into McCoy's quarters, and they have a little conversation in which Nancy tells McCoy, you know, I like you more than the professor. Um, you're much, you, uh, you have much stronger memories of me than he does. And she also wants him to go take a nap. So she encourages him to do so, and then he does it. Oh, alright. This, 
This seems this doesn't seem weird at all. I'll just take a nap. Right. So he takes the the red hots and he goes to bed. Meanwhile, uh, there's another dead guy that's been found on the ship by uh, Sulu and Beehive, and yes. this guy this guy also has the telltale kiss marks all over his face. Yes. So when this happens, well, McCoy gets called to the bridge. However, since he's asleep, Nancy then morphs into McCoy and heads on up to the bridge. Right. right. Uh, back on 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 whatever planet they are, Kirk and Spock go down. They're there. Okay, look, we're gonna get Nancy and the professor, and we're not fooling around this time. The professor is armed. Tells them to go away. They find that okay, Green's body. Now they know that uh, that, that it's a shapeshifter, and it is on on the ship. Right now, just before he's found. Yes. As Kirk is talking with uh, Crater, who's now it's basically like a standoff, right? He's behind some rocks. Yes. And he's got he's got a weapon, and it's Kirk and Spock, and they're trying to talk to him. While that's happening, did you notice that Spock is he starts to back away quietly? Yes. He drifts away from from Kirk, and it looks to me like this is one of those uh, situations where Spock, Spock decides. Um, to take batters into his own hands. He's now he has not been ordered or commanded on what to do. It looked to me when I was watching this that he was going to maybe circle back around the other side of Crater and try to get him. That's probably But that, instead when he started he stumbles move- across the body. Uh yep, okay. Agreed on all on everything that you just said. That's what it seemed like yeah. was going on to me. Uh now we did also have the uh the order of General Quarters Security three and again yes. that that seems like another red alert. And I happen to enjoy these little moments because then you just get the hallways and people milling about. And some people are just rushing before, and some people are, are, are just walking. But some yes. people and some people are running. It there's right. something uh, there's moving some, with purpose. There's some uh, there's something entertaining about that. It it you know what it is? It seems like it's a candid look. Like like it's a security camera footage and then people are just moving about their business and everyone's in like uh in, in a different state of hurry is what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I think I read somewhere that though that scene may have been cut from another episode, and I, it would be easy to, oh, to do that, right? Yeah, and just insert it in. Absolutely, they yeah. could take that exact one and use it a dozen times over, uh, right? And get t- right. T- certainly, I've seen it in TV shows where they have, you know, used cut scenes or things like that a, a number of times. You know, you see a car right. chase, and then you might see the same car turning the corner. Uh, the same, you know, if it's if it's the same car, and if you're watching Starsky and Hutch, you will definitely see that uh, the the Torino, you know, turning right. a corner, and you've seen it before. Uh, th- that will happen. Right. It might even be the same wheel cap that goes flying off every time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going <laughs> to imagine that it is. Right. Okay. Right, right. Well, what I'm going to say before this scene, Danny, um, when Spock finds Green. He, uh, Kirk is actually communicating back with the ship about something else, and then Spock opens his transmitter and he says, "Spock cutting in, Captain." True. Which not a not not a, a big thing, but it's like, oh, okay, I guess it makes sense. When he flips open his uh, his transmitter, uh, his walkie-talkie, whatever it is, um, his communication device, he can easily chop right into whatever conversation, whatever frequency that is that Kirk has going with the bridge, and I thought that was kind of Okay, that was kind of neat. Yeah, yeah. All right. So let's see. So where was I? All right. So 
this is where we see uh, fake McCoy is on the bridge trying to trying to uh, get more information. And far more entertaining, okay, is the Kirk Spock takedown of the professor, in which yep. we see the Kirk serpentine for some reason. Where he runs and then he runs in like in a serpentine fashion, kind of going sideways to sideways, and then he's uh, on the ground and he's crawling like he's like he's I don't know like he's at war, and he hides behind some bushes. It's fantastic. You got to keep your head down. You might get it chopped off one day. I I understand. I understand. That crater is armed. We've already seen him shoot that gun. You know, you got to watch out. He says you'll have to kill me. I don't care either way. And then, and then Spock, all right, master of the obvious. Obviously, you take him alive. It's going. But we also get something interesting here too. We find out a little bit more information about the phasers. I knew you were going to do this. Go, go ahead. I had a feeling you were like, you know, I, I, what I watched is like, you know, Joey's going to explain this. He's going to explain yeah. the, the different, the di- different level settings that are on the phasers because that's yeah. What, that's well, what I I'm saw. just, uh, I'm just gonna, I'm just stating what I went. They say in the show, but Kirk says to Spock, set your phaser on one quarter, I'll leave mine on stun. So I'm not sure whose phaser is going to have the bigger the bigger uh impact, but it's interesting that you can set your your phaser, you know, uh, what uh power to one quarter. And I think I've heard that before on the show. And you could also just go ahead and set it, you know, to stun. So yeah. I don't know what one quarter is, but I imagine that um, it would be probably – I'm guessing that it's more closer to fatal than the setting that says stun. I would – that is exactly how I interpret it as well. I was like, yeah. oh, okay, so he's giving Spock more power than he's going to give himself. Yeah, yeah, because then even Spock says, and risk your life for his. Yes. Set your phaser on one quarter. I'll leave mine on stun. And risk your life for his. He's not trying to kill us. He's trying to frighten us. So, and Kirk is saying, listen, I know this guy. This is where Kirk starts turning, uh, you know, therapist. He says, listen, he's just trying to scare us. He's not trying to kill us, you know, so let's not take this, you know, too far. We don't have to kill anybody. Uh-huh. Well, That's but, what I think he's saying there. Yeah, but he's also saying, I'm willing to take the risk on just stunning him and capturing him. If it comes down to you two, you can go ahead and provide right. a little more force to protect yourself. Totally agree. Yes, yeah. totally agree. All right, so uh, he's just trying to scare us, and he's doing a pretty good job. (laughs) So it works out where Kirk stuns Crater, and once stunned, now Crater starts talking. He explains Nancy's not Nancy; she's actually an alien. It's the last of its kind. The creature killed Nancy a couple of years ago. They need salts to stay alive. We're going to hear a number of times for the rest of the episode how it's the last of its kind. It's like the buffalo or the passenger pigeon. It's the last of its kind. And uh, I don't know if you know this. That means that, that, you know, almost extinct. And it's the last of its kind. And if I didn't tell you, it's the last of its kind. Yes, and that idea was brought up by – so this this particular story was rewritten and rewritten and reworked like it always is. But when they were talking about it, um, that part was brought up about the fact that – you know, comparing um, the situation of this uh, salt vampire, if you will, to the um, plight of the American bison. And uh, Roddenberry found that idea really, really interesting. 
So um, they they made sure to try and get that point across. And I think Roddenberry likes stuff like that because he doesn't want to make things black and white in this show. He wants things to be complex. He wants, you know, to be uh, – he wants every episode, if he can make it, be some sort of thought-provoking piece where you can't just say, oh, yeah, it's that killing. It's, oh, that side. There's two sides to every story. Nobody's a bad guy ever. It's just everybody has their own, you know, perspectives of what they're fighting for. Um, you know, battle of morals, battle of ethics, all that stuff. So I think that that was like, yeah, yeah, now you've got it. Yeah, let's make sure we get that comparison in there so that we can illustrate that to the American viewer. Which they did over and over again. Okay. Yeah. So let's see. So then we have a really great scene in the conference room. <laughs> All right. Everybody, let's get into the conference room. Let's discuss the situation. Because now we've got Kirk. We've got McCoy. We've I'm sorry. We've got fake McCoy. We've got um, the professor. We've got Spock. We've got Beehive. They're all discussing what are they going to do, right? And so... <laughs> They get to McCoy. It's like, all right, McCoy, what have you got to say? And McCoy, which obviously it's not McCoy, it's like, hey, you know what? I've got an idea. Uh, I think we should just give it whatever it wants. Uh, that sounds like a pretty good way to handle it. You know, it's just yeah. trying to survive. What's the big deal? Just give it some salt, you know? <laughs> and the professor is echoing the exact same thoughts. Yeah. See, this guy's making sense over here. That's right. It's Listen, it's the last of its kind. It's just trying to survive. It has the right to survive. Let's just give right. it what it wants. Yes. Now, yeah, and it's interesting that this is where we learned that Professor Crater apparently can recognize the being, right? Yes, and this because is... He hasn't seen him morph into this. This is, unfortunately, this is the... the, the well, this is the end of, this is gonna be the end of the line for Professor Crater. Once he goes ahead and gives out that information that he can recognize the creature when it's in a different form, it's like, okay, well, will, will you tell us? No, I'm not gonna tell you where, when I see it. Alright, well then we're gonna have to get some truth serum. Hey, fake McCoy, yeah. you and Spock, go ahead and take him and get some truth serum. And alright, well, I guess we're gonna go. And the next thing we know, we have, uh, Spock has been, was knocked out, and he's, you know, he's already coming to and explaining what happened. Fortunately for Spock, he has no salt in his body, so he's still alive. <laughs> That's not what they said. <laughs> well, he says that he comes from a different ocean. Right, which is like, well, yeah, but doesn't he also come from a different planet? Well, that's for all. starters, like, why do you have to say different ocean? That's listen. Right? I'm not. I don't know. <laughs> I don't have an he's answer. Not, to that he's question. not an Earthling, right? So yes. why are we talking about oceans? I don't know. I have no idea. Right. It's but, just that to me was like a silly thing to say that he came from a different ocean. Different ocean from from these people. Okay, they're supposedly like you said earlier. This supposed to be from all different oceans on Earth as it is. This you know, true. we assume you from another planet, you know, somewhere in the galaxy that we've never heard of. Uh, well, you and I have never heard of. You probably have a different ocean. You're probably, you're probably your planet is not connected to the Pacific <laughs> Ocean, right? Yeah. Right? All right. So I was like, come on. That's kind of, that's kind of silly. That's a bad word to use. Yeah. Um, but actually what he says was, hey, listen, I'm different. So it's not like he can go, this being can go ahead and draw salt out of my body. You know, through my blood, the way it does with you, uh, wimpy earthlings. 
You know, I, it's funny that now you think that that's what it meant. Uh, I, I, I got the impression that he just didn't have any salt. Like you know, the way that I'm built, we don't have that. Uh, what do you think? Okay. No, I think he's got salt. Okay. Uh, I think so. Uh, by the way, did you notice that the green blood on his uh, forehead? I did notice the green blood on his forehead. Yes, I did. Yes. Well, so let me tell you a little bit about that. Oh, so, okay. Uh, yeah, the writers. Some of the writers wanted to do that. They wanted they wanted that uh, that green blood in there, on there. And guess who didn't like the green blood? Leonard Nimoy, Gene, oh. Ro- Gene Roddenberry. Correct. Ding uh-huh. ding 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 ding. He did not like the green blood, so he kept trying to fix it in post production, and he couldn't he couldn't like change the color of it to his satisfaction. So it looks a little funny, right? It doesn't look exactly green, right? Like it's I mean it does it is green, but not it's not like a like a bright green. It's sort of like a weird, I don't know, like a weird colored green, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's sort of, uh, I don't want to say neon, but yeah, th- it is a, a weird-ish green look to it, yeah. Yeah, and I think that it's probably because of all of the extra work that Roddenberry had people do to try to change the color of it. I don't know what if he was trying to make it red or not, but um, that's the first time that I realized that he didn't like the idea of him having green blood. Because they, 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 do, they do use the fact that he has green blood over and over and over after this. So maybe he just gave up and said, all right, fine, he's got green blood now. Huh. Well, that very well could be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Spock is, uh, he explains what happens. Uh, the professor is dead. Also, kissy marks on the face. And here we're going to have our big climax. All right. So the creature is going to go from McCoy back to being Nancy and decides to go back to Dr. McCoy's place for protection. McCoy's been asleep this whole time. So yep. Nancy bursts in. McCoy's happy to see her. She's right after, right? They have a little exchange, and Kirk bursts in right after. And he's ready to kill her. All right, finally, I'm going to kill you. But McCoy doesn't really even know what's going on, so he's not having it. No, 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 you can't kill her. Don't go killing my ex-girlfriend. She Don't just, forget, he just woke up. I just, yeah, he just woke up, doesn't know what's happening, and hey, just before I went back to bed, just before I went to bed, she said that she would hook up with me. She said she would dump That's the right. professor for me, so come on. It's lonely out here in space. Uh, how, he, he doesn't, so he's not believing what's going on, and so he interferes in with, with Kirk trying to subdue Nancy. Even though Kirk now, is trying on. to tempt her, he's got uh, giant salt pellets in his hand. I'm sorry. Right, right, right. But hang on here. So it yeah. is plausible, though, that McCoy would be thinking and feeling this way because he hasn't been around. He's been out cold for a lot of the things that have been going on. Yes. He doesn't know that they figured that they – I don't think he know he knew that there was some sort of invader on the ship, right? I don't – or did he know that? Uh, let's see. When does he go to sleep? I can tell you in a second here as to when it was he goes to sleep. Um. Hmm. Yeah. No, he doesn't know. It's it's before. He goes to sleep before then. I think so. Well, there's a couple of people that have died, but I'm not sure that. Well, we certainly have never seen him work. We have not seen him working on the people that have died. Right. Yeah, right. Well, other than Darnell in the beginning, he hasn't uh, been doing anything with it. And so when they when Sulu and Beehive find the other dead guy, he's already asleep. Yeah. Uh, what about Green? Uh, green. Uh, let me see. Even if he did work on him, that would be on the planet. 
that that he's definitely out by the time that they discover green definitely okay. out by then yeah so he doesn't okay. know any of this that's, that's going on so he's just waking right. up and it's a whole different world like everything has changed yeah kirk is I mean, now trying is, to shoot his ex-girlfriend that you know hasn't changed in uh in 10 years doesn't look a day over 25 yeah right all right what's so what's going on here kirk are you insane right, yeah and so yeah right so now kirk like you said he's holding out the salt pills holding trying out the tempter trying to tempt her it's not exactly working and there's a little bit of a scuffle mccoy tries to grab the phaser it falls out of his hand and uh <laughs> then we have spock coming in spock, oh yeah all right now, i gotta say spock rushes in He's wearing his holster. There's no phaser in it for some reason. Oh. Yeah. He, he, he bursts in wearing the holster. There's no phaser. Okay. At this point, uh, yes. McCoy has the phaser in his hand. And Nancy is starting to work her voodoo magic on Kirk. And he's paralyzed just the way we saw Uhura. Yeah. He is paralyzed. He doesn't know what to do. Yeah. And Spock says... To McCoy, look, you you got to shoot her, but he won't do it. So now we have uh, shoot. There's so many. There's another great moment here. Spock decides to take matters into his own hands and starts wailing on this woman. Puts his <laughs> fists together and just starts pounding on her back and forth and back and forth. Square shots to the jaw. Yes, absolutely. Every, every time, one. every time. However, and he's saying to McCoy. Yeah. If she were Nancy, could she, bam, take, bam, this, bam. <laughs> He's just trying to prove a point. He knows that he, for some reason, Spock has figured out that he cannot take this monster. But they have to shoot it, that maybe that'll help. And maybe that's the only way they can stop the monster. And so he's trying to prove to McCoy, who, by the way, he tried to wrestle the phaser away from and could not do it. Right? So that's when he stops wrestling with him, and then he goes and starts, you know, bashing her in the face. So he's just trying to prove the point. Like, you, this is not Nancy. Look. Look what I'm doing to her. She's taking an unbelievable physical pounding from a Vulcan. Don't you see now? Wake up. Oh, it, and, and to, to drive the point further home, Nancy knocks him across the room <laughs> in, in, in retaliation. Right. All right, stop hitting me. Like, send Spock flying across the room. Yeah. Okay. And it's a backhand. So now... Nancy goes back to her business of drawing blood. I'm sorry, drawing salt out of Kirk's face. Uh, Kirk is just still now. He's sitting and he's not moving. And as oh. as Nancy is doing it, and McCoy is just holding the phaser and staring for reasons I don't exactly know. She turns back to her true form, which is some hairy, bizarre-looking alien, some Sigmund and the Sea Monster, H.R. Puffin stuff-looking creature. It's got a bunch of suction cups on the fingers, which explains all of the kissy marks on everybody's face. And <laughs> I can only imagine. You know, it's funny, because we all know. We all know that this thing is an alien, right? Right. Everybody on the ship knows that this thing is an alien. McCoy has had this information for about 60 seconds, and he's not right. sure how to process it yet. I can only imagine what went on in his head, in that character's head, when it actually turned into the alien in front of his head, in front of his eyes. Right? Yeah, I, I, have, a, I have a potential explanation for that. 
I mean, there's really only two explanations, right? The one obvious explanation is that the salt monster now is so arrogant that it can do whatever it wants. It just, you know, drops the charade. That to me is like, that's how I initially took it, like, all, all my life. I've always taken it like, you're not going to do anything, McCoy. And there's no one in this room that can do anything. So I'm just going to go ahead and have a little bit more salt. Don't mind me. Right? Mm-hmm. But now I'm thinking that maybe uh, McCoy is just seeing it for what it really is. That the, uh, you know, the apparition, that it's, you know, the hallucination, whatever it's doing to McCoy isn't working anymore because he's now, he realizes that what he just saw cannot be Nancy. Because remember... I, I like that explanation. It looks different to different people. It does. Right? Yes, it does. All right, so that explanation totally works for me. That's that's good. Okay. I hadn't considered it. I honestly did not know as to why yeah. it dropped the charade, and now you can see it for what it is. But McCoy, that's my guess. The, McCoy then sees it and shoots it, turns back to Nancy for a second. <laughs> he shoots her again. Now we're all done. We, we yeah, there? I I got a question, though. Go ahead. Um these two, so Nancy or the mon- the monster and Doctor Crater have been on this planet for a number a number of years, right? Yes. Okay. How much salt does this thing need? It's killed like what six people? I am so with you. How many yes. people do you have to? Or is there just very little salt in human bodies? Like how much salt do you actually need? And they don't they know they're getting salt from the Enterprise. Aren't yeah. they supposed to get some? So can't you just chill out for about a half hour until they do the yeah. examination? Why does it just or, – or maybe if it just freaks out because it's like a – you know, it's been pretty hungry and now all of a sudden, you know, you're walking into the all-you-can-eat buffet and you can't help yourself. I guess so. <laughs> but, you know, I would think that this creature, which is supposedly intelligent and seems to be right. fairly intelligent, maybe not as intelligent as a human, but should know enough to to play it cool. Like this creature has probably had to play it cool for a while whenever – they do say that shipments had slowed in the last year, but didn't say that shipments had stopped completely. So I'm sure this morphing thing that it's done, it's had to do it in front of other people – and hasn't yeah. necessarily killed people that yeah. we know of. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I, yeah. I I don't get why it went on a kill crazy rampage. I, I'm yeah. with you. It, uh, why did all of a sudden have to become a serial killer? It, it should know, like you said, it's, it's it is intelligent life. It should know that the first person it killed that's going to be risky, right? Um, but now you keep killing people. Uh, you know, you're 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 just eventually going to get found out. And then on top of that, you kill the professor. The one guy that was that, that was you know that was your last line of defense was Professor Crater. Oh, but right, yeah, but Professor Crater had to die because Professor Crater was going to get that truth serum and say, "Okay, it's right over there." Uh, I would think about it more like maybe they could have subdued Spock, got to the transporter. That's exactly what out. they needed to do. They needed to get yeah. out. They needed to get out of there. I mean, that's why. Although she that wouldn't help. That wouldn't have helped either, though. They would have beamed down to the planet. They would have. Uh, they would have come down with a, an army of men, right? Yeah. They still would have found him, right? Yeah. It was up. Like the, the like the the jig was up. Unless, well, no. Then the other option is to, like you say, just give yourself up and say, "Look, I'm the last of my kind. I don't want to kill. Please help me." That's that's, I, that's the only option left. 
That, right? I don't know why you didn't do that right from the very beginning. They would have given you salt. I mean, I'm, they were there to to perform examinations and help with whatever you needed. Yeah, that's 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 what they're there for. They're the, it's like it's like the, the, a floating uh, UNICEF or something or a Red Cross. That's what we're here yes. for. We're here to help out. We don't want. Yeah, any... I mean, look, he's bringing chili peppers to you know uh, <laughs> Captain, Captain Dominguez. Dominguez. <laughs> he, he can give you some salt. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then we have uh, an, an epilogue scene at the end. And oh wait, before we get to that, uh-huh, uh, at sure. the end of the at the end of the scene with uh, with Kirk, yes, uh, right. We actually now know why there are the kissy marks in everybody's faces, right? Oh yeah, yeah, because I already said the suction cups. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, and they make it clear, which I thought was pretty cool that that explains all the round circles on their faces. I thought that was a good touch. Yes. Okay. Right? It explains the mystery. So then we have our our last scene, which is just our little epilogue scene, which really isn't much of of anything. Again, it, they're all on the bridge. Everyone's a little on the somber side because, well, we've got a bunch of dead crewmen. Um, McCoy's got a dead ex girlfriend. It, it hasn't been a good episode for a lot of people. Uh, right. Uhura can't get anywhere with Spock. You know, it, it's it's been rough for everyone, and that's about it. We just have a, a little comment about the the buffalo. Just thinking, yeah, about, just thinking about, the buffalo. about the buffalo. And that's yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, all right I, then. Thank I you. think, though, mm. you know, you, you are supposed to be left feeling like sad because they did what they had to do, um, but you have killed an entire species. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that that is sad. You can't bring it back, right? It's over. You know, you can't get the dinosaur back. It died. It's over. So, yeah, well, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I'm okay with it. I, I'm okay with it because that th- – Based on my only experience with that species, what's granted was one. There used to be many. Now there was one. That one was a real jerk. Yeah. And I don't know what's up with the professor who went ahead and his actual wife, the real Nancy, was killed a couple of years ago. And he was going to destroy this one in retaliation and decided – you know what? No, I think I'll just keep you as uh, my my pretend wife now from now on. <laughs> How bizarre! Hey, Nancy, tonight I'd like to see you with blonde hair. Can you do that for me? It's it's as though he just took it into some strange level, had a bizarre relationship with an alien creature. I don't know. I mean, really, I guess you could look at it, the professor. He got what he deserved. That weird, that weirdo, that weird sexual deviant. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, um, so, uh, what are you left with outside of what you just said about the episode? What am I left with about this episode? Yeah, like, like, how will you remember this episode? Uh, (laughs) Well, I have a tendency to remember all of the goofy things. I will say the last scene, like the last struggle scene, is a little on the goofy side to me. You know, with, you mean between Kirk and it? Yeah, between Kirk, it, uh, Spock pounding its face a little bit, yes. like, like yes. all of it. It's kind of oddly shot. They're all a little. You can tell like the quarters are kind of cramped. Everyone's positioned a little. Oh yeah, close. Right. You know, like maybe right. if that if that set had been a little bit bigger, it would have looked a little bit better. But it looked a little funny to me. Um, I'm trying to think, it, it, like overall, it's an all right episode. I didn't think it was great. Uh, I I did definitely enjoy a number of things about it. 
it doesn't help me move my needle too much, just so you know, so we get to that. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll like, get there. We'll yeah. get there. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. What else do you know? What else do you want out of this? Um, you know, going back to the, uh, to that scene where Spock and, uh, Uhura are a little flirty. Well, she's a little flirty with him. She's trying to be flirty. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, you know, apparently there were other, there are other episodes where, uh, Michelle Nichols, the actress that plays Uhura, said that she felt that there were hints of some sort of, uh, Uhura Spock, uh, you know, love, possibilities later in the series we'll find out i don't really remember anything like that i was actually surprised to see this one no Um, kidding yeah yeah i was like what you know i was like it was interesting um it again to me it's just them trying too hard to do to to bring character development um to it and it uh, you know it didn't sit right with me but otherwise i was okay but apparently there are some people that have suggested that that scene in this episode is was the kernel that led to the to uh, them having a full blown relationship in the 2009 reboot. No kidding, that's interesting. Yeah, I could I could see that as the case because you know obviously and we've talked about this on your radio Dan show of course. Sure. But uh, you know that is a very unusual thing that they did in the reboot. Um, you know where they are actually having an a sexual and loving relationship, um, you know. But uh, so I guess I could see where they drew the inspiration of that from, if you will. Mm-hmm. So it definitely, it definitely stood out to me. The other thing that stood out to me was definitely, I think, the moment where he's smashing her with two fists together in the face, like you said. Yes. To me, I kind of that's like, oh yeah, I remember that. And <laughs> it's also one of those things. It's like, okay, they're, they're supposed to be, you know. Uh, uh, Versed, well versed in like you know fighting tactics in the future, and um, I just don't know that putting both of your fists together is a bigger powerful punch than than two separate fists. No, it's, I don't know. It, it's also very goofy looking, like that. It, 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 it looked yeah. it looked more funny than it looked serious to me as I was watching yeah. him do that. It was like, look, look what I'm doing here. Yeah. Like, what? Wait. What are you doing here? You're smashing <laughs> this woman with your two fists together. What are you talking? What are you? What, what's happening? Yeah. Um, there's gonna be other other moments like this where the way that they fight is like it's just kind of weird. There's gonna be things Kirk does where like I I, I don't know if you remember this ever, but like he grabs like he has like his right arm, but like he holds it like as if it's in a sling. And then he grabs the fist with his left arm and then like he shoves the elbow into somebody. And it's like, well, why don't you just do the elbow, you know, without the other arm? You know, like, <laughs> I, 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 like it, as a kid, it doesn't I look wondered as dr- about that. It doesn't look as dramatic. He's, he's giving it an, a little bit of extra oomph by pushing it. It's great. Yeah. I, I'm convinced and I don't know that I'm right. I'm convinced that when we see these kind of weird mo- movements in the, in the fight scenes that it's them saying this is these are the more intelligent ways ergonomically to fight. You get more power, you know. It's just the more intelligent way that you know it's been discovered through the next you know couple hundred years that these tactics are going to be far more effective than you know just you know ball, curling up your fingers and in, in fists and just flinging away. And I just don't think it ever works. <sighs> You're probably right about that. <laughs> I don't think anybody yeah. would argue with that. 
No, I, I don't think so. It's definitely one of the things that people can look at the show and like uh, it helps them to dismiss it when they see silly things like that, right? Yes, that is correct. I, I would totally agree with that. Also, when you see beehives in the future. <laughs> you know, also when, uh, when, when, the, when the women are wearing beehives and go-go boots, <laughs> what looks like go-go boots <laughs> and yes. mini skirts. <laughs> yeah. So I believe this was the sixth episode that was produced in the series, believe it or not. Oh, okay, the sixth episode. But we yet we watched it third. We did. We're going back to the filming order okay. or the produ- production. What's filming order versus production order? Is there a difference? I, I don't think there is a difference. I think it's the same. I think you're thinking of the release order or, or air date, the order of um, the air date. I think that is what I'm thinking. Okay. Um, yeah, so we're just going to do it that way. But what, what that calls to mind, though, is that if this is the sixth episode that was filmed and produced and all that stuff, then the other five episodes – that were that were produced um, mm-hmm. probably did laid a little bit more of the groundwork in terms of the relationships and the backstories of some of the characters. Well, right? I will tell you, it it certainly did seem like some of these characters were already well established. Like, yeah, you know, like the idea that Spock was already, uh, you know, he's watching the ship in the beginning. He's down there yeah. with McCoy. It it's there was something about it that seemed very familiar, even though. To you and I going through this, it, it it shouldn't be that way. We hadn't seen McCoy until this episode at all. Yeah, it's like everything is way too comfortable. Yes, right? yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, everything fits just a little bit too well. You know, more things needed to be you know out of sorts a little bit. You know, um, but that's that is how they did it, and this is the very first episode that aired. Um, if you recall, I mentioned that the second pilot last week. Um, mm-hmm. Where no man had gone before yes. was actually shot with a budget of. Do you remember the number? No, I don't remember the number. Three hundred thousand dollars. That's a pretty and, good budget. Yeah, and so once everything's greenlit and they start, you know, producing all these other episodes, this one costs them. Do you want to take a shot at it? Oh, I uh, let's see. If that one was three hundred, I'll say this one was. Uh, I don't know, three fifty. One eighty-five. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So I do know that things that that tend to to, to run the budget up a little bit are, uh, you know, when they when the when they're in when the sets that they're on are very different. Or like, there's a lot of different sets. Okay. Right? Yeah. And then the next thing is, are there a lot of uh, uh, characters, uh, even if they're just uh, people with cameos, right? Even if it's just people, you know, walking by in the lunchroom and stuff like that. Those things really add add to the price, the price of labor, basically. Interesting. Um, you know. Oh, you know what I did notice in this episode is that yeah. the, the hallways. There's still a couple of hallways. It's not as prominent as, as it was in the in the cage, where yeah. they have those little you know triangular looking yep. walkways that that are You're completely right. not very, that are not very functional. Right, incredibly, incredibly ridiculous. But but they but the hallway wasn't as skinny as the first time we saw that, right? No, it, it wasn't. Yeah, and and it wasn't like we saw in the cage. I remember seeing a number of them. And I think here I saw one, and we saw also just other hallways in general. I was like, yes. I I I think I like the hallway scenes. I like the scenes that are away from the bridge. Like the hallway scenes are always kind of interesting. If he's in an elevator, it's kind of interesting. 
I, yeah. Scenes like that that are still on the ship but are not on the bridge. Uh, there's just yeah. something about it where it makes it feel like the spaceship really is a big place with all of these different places that you could go in it. Right, right, right. And I, I, we didn't really talk about this, but um, maybe this is already way too obvious. But you, you know, you are aware that that Star Trek is supposed to be modeled after the Navy, right? Uh, no, I, I, yeah, I guess I do. Uh, I guess so. I mean, okay. it's the SS, USS. I get all that. Sure. Right. So, like, even a lot, a lot of the ways they communicate sometimes, they, they didn't do it today. And I think it was, I'm not sure if it was the, if it was the which pilot it was. I think it was the last pilot, the second pilot. But you know, like one guy actually re- repeats an order that 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 Kirk gave. You know, like uh, you know, uh, our, uh, warp, warp factor one, warp factor one. You know, it's oh. like that kind of thing. <laughs> okay, I get that. Yeah, and I think like a lot of the ranks. I mean, you and I are not military people, uh, but I do think that a lot of the ranks here are supposed to be similar, you know, to the Navy, and it's supposed to be sort of kind of the idea, like they're in a submarine or something. Okay, I could see it. Yeah, yeah. All right, That's... so I'm I'm ready to give you my my rating here, Joe. Okay. Of, of where the needle has moved. So we're on, okay, we, so we were on. First week we were at... Yeah, first week we were at I think five. Right. And then we moved to seven. And we moved to twelve. We did. Yeah, and now I would say thirteen and a off. half. Ah. Yeah, that's right. Not... But we did move up. Yeah, we did move up, but not a lot. In fact, we moved up the, the smallest amount, I would say. We well, yeah. well, we're just getting started, but but I'm surprised. I'm a little. I'm I'm glad to know that we moved up. But didn't you feel that the that the last episode was better than this one? Or yeah, no? I I think so. The last one was better than this one. This is true. So then, why does your rating go up? What is what is it that you appreciate more after watching another episode of Star Trek, even if it's substandard compared to the previous one? Here's I'll tell you exactly what it is. I was there was a number of scenes that I thought were kind of funny, and also I liked seeing more of the regular crew. So I saw Uhura and I saw McCoy, and neither okay. of them were in the previous episode. So I kind of appreciated that. Okay, I'm getting more. Cl- I'm getting closer to what I'm expecting in these episodes, and and I I did like seeing those those characters. Okay, all right. Is there anything else that? struck you as a surprise that, oh, I didn't know Star Trek was like that, or, oh, I'm starting to get the idea that Star Trek is like this. Uh, Is there any moments like that yet? No, nothing like that. I got nothing like that for you. Sorry. All right. That's all right. right. We were just getting started. This is the very first uh, aired episode of the series. All right. So next time around, Joey, we're going to wrap this up here. What is the name of the next episode that I will be watching? Boy, it's a good one. Okay. It's a really good one. Okay, go ahead. What is it? Charlie X. Charlie X? Oh, yeah. Oh, you're excited about this one. Oh, yeah. I remember that one really well when I was a kid. Now, again, I was watching this the series and you know, when I was like five or six years old, and I always remember that what, probably the, the first time that I ever saw a spooky moment that like frightened me like a horror movie would came from that episode. A spooky moment? Come on, oh, really? Yes, yes. A horrible horror moment. Wait, wait. <gasps> I held my breath and I tried to not see what I thought I saw. Oh yeah. Okay, now wait, okay. wait a Bad second. Dreams and everything. Wait a second. Am I gonna think this too? Am I gonna go? 
Well, that, do you think that will happen? Well, I mean, I was five or six. I know. <laughs> watching a show that was produced in 1967. So I'd like to think that your your eyes are a little bit more sophisticated as a man <laughs> in his 40s watching watching this, this 50-year-old uh, television show. All right. I, I, All right. I'd like to think it's going to take a little bit more to spook you out. All right. So, All right, everybody. We'll be back again next time where I will be attempting Charlie X. Oh, we should have a good night thing, Joey. Do you, you want to? Yeah. Do you have like some nerdy Star Trek thing that you would say at the end? How would you? How would you say goodbye to people in a Star Trekky way? Okay. Yeah. You ready? Yeah. Go ahead. Fans, you've got the con. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know what that means? Uh, like you're in control. Is that what that means? Yeah, but do you know why? Do you know why? Do you know what it's from? I have no you idea what it's from. Okay. Uh, we, all this is being cut, right? Yes. Uh, after you okay. said, fans, you got the con. Yes. Okay, 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 yeah. Okay, so that's actually something I did not know until I started doing the rewatch, Danny. Oh. But uh, in most of, many of the episodes... <laughs>